What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with one of the founders of New Coat, Charlie Gower. Charlie, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Hey, Josh. Good to be here. Awesome. So you're you're chatting with me from London, which is where um, your business duly operates out of London and New York. How would you best describe uh, Nuco to someone who has yet to hear of your your brand? That's a good question. One, obviously, we get asked often, and I think it's one that's evolved through time. If today, you know, based on everything that's going on in the world, we're looking at a business that essentially is developing supplements that can combine the best in alternative medicine, but also proven science-backed ingredients. I think what's really important to us is developing and producing a business or a product within the business that can deliver solutions to specific needs. So very much about understanding of who our customers are and, and what they need in terms of their own wellness and health journeys. So give me a little background. You you as you and your wife, Jules, launched this company in 2017, um, starting in New York. What, what was the idea um, that really led you to getting Nuco off the ground? Well, interesting. I was actually um, a professional rugby player. So supplements have been a big part of my life from um, quite an early age, probably about the age of 18, when I was seriously taking supplements and looking at how they could impact me, specifically from a performance perspective. Uh, then I was fortunate enough to meet Jules um, after I finished playing um, rugby, actually. She'd been a long-term sufferer of IBS and similarly had t- tried and taken quite a lot of different supplements, but never really had the results that she'd hoped for. So I think the both of our journeys kind of came together in the sense that we were aware that there was a need for a better product and better offering in the supplement space, but we couldn't quite put a nail on it. So I think the combination of my performance-led interests, but her need state in terms of solving a particular issue was what actually drove us to come up with the idea in the business. So as I suggested in the first question, it's really looking at you know a need state of a particular individual and then applying a solution to that. So all of our products and all of our supplements really are driven towards either a performance-related um, issue or a health-based issue. When you started the business in 2017, how did you really couple your your experience between you and Jules and then turning that into your first line of products? Yeah, so as I suggested, for us, it was really looking at the category and thinking about how we could combine both of our individual needs. So particularly from a performance base on my side, and then looking at Jules who had a particular need around her you know, digestive gut-based issues and then looking into the two different types of supplements that you could take, you could have the alternative products, sort of Vedic type practices or Chinese medicines, or then the clinically proven ingredients that had trials against them that would deliver particular results based on the need. We wanted to combine the two. So we looked into how we could bring together that alternative type medicine, also the science backed ingredients to come up with our first products. That's interesting. So when you went through this process, did you raise capital uh, in, immediately or did you kind of work through some of the science and start develop some of the products that you wanted to offer and then raise capital or how did that work? I think it was an interesting journey in, in terms of the capital raise. We actually never intended to raise capital. So probably through the first six months, it was a product development um, business. You know, as I said, we were looking into the category, into the industry, 
looking at how we were combining the need states and performance related issues to create these products. And then what came through conversations with, uh, you know, the manufacturers that we we're speaking to uh, and mentors and partners, there was a need, a broader need and a broader interest in what we were doing. I think at the time, probably three years ago, the gut health um, awareness or being able to apply a brand to gut health was just not a concept that had been well developed. So, you know, as we went to market, we seemed to get quite a lot of interest from particularly angel investors at that stage. This idea of applying, you know, the science and the nature, but also adding a layer of brand around the business as well. So we managed to get quite a lot of interest early on. So probably in about six months time, we were able to do a sort of friends and family type fundraise, which led into a bigger seed raise about 12 months into the business's life stage. That's interesting. And, and over time, I, I know we talked about this offline that you raised $10 million for the business. Now, how did you guys come up with that number uh, in deciding that's what you think you would need um, to really give the business um, all it needs to grow to its potential? Well, I think, you know, that capital raise wasn't all done at once. You know, there was particular stages along our journey and our growth trajectory that allowed us to raise different amounts of money. Early on, you know, it was really just raising money to get us to the next month, to get us to a product launch, to get us to a place where we could actually develop products and deliver them to the consumer. And as we saw success on, um, you know, getting the products live, as we were able to launch new products based on that success, the interest grew. So we were able to raise larger rounds of funding. We were able to actually bring in some institutional investment quite early on. So we were super fortunate that Unilever Ventures were one of our first um, you know, seed level investors, which is quite a unique um, stage for them to invest in. And I think that really just drew and brought in other investors to our business based on one, the category and the sort of success that we we're having at a very early stage. I think if anybody knows the supplement space, they know that it's you know, riddled with inconsistencies and brands that are quite unaccountable for the products they're creating. And I think with us leading with this brand, but also you know, the research that was going into the products, we were able to get quite a fair amount of interest quite quickly. Um, you know, if you look at all of the big players in the supplement space, and you can probably bucket in, you know, the beauty players as well, there's very few that have been able to apply a brand and a lifestyle type feeling to high quality supplements as well. That's interesting. Now, there's about seven categories that you currently um, offer products in from vitamins to gut health, skin, stress, sleep, immunity, and active, uh, being active. Who, who do you target specifically? Like who, who is really the, your, your average customer that you're, you're selling to? So interestingly, I'd say we don't have an average customer. Our approach is quite different from most brands is that we want to listen to that customer's need. So, you know, the seven categories that you mentioned there, if you fall into one of those categories, you could be one of our customers. A big thing for us is looking at the business where it's positioned at the moment and thinking, well, how do we have as big an impact as a brand as possible? So it's likely that most people through one part or another of their life, they'll probably fall into one of our vertical categories where we develop products. So anyone really could be a consumer. And a lot of people look at our products and think, well, actually, you know, the visual and the feeling um, that we've created through the packaging and the jars might push people away from the brand. But that really isn't the intention. That's all about making it an enjoyable experience to take supplements. So, you know, if you do feel that you have sleep issues, gut health issues or anything in one of the product categories that we develop in, you could be one of our customers. So, 
you know, we probably now, if you look at our brand, are about a 60, 40% split in terms of um, female to male with female 60% um, of the people that consume the brand currently. As I said, as we develop, as the customer gets more educated on their own needs, I feel that there's no one that wouldn't be interested or able to consume the brand. That's interesting. Um, okay, so let's go back to 2017. And when you're initially sort of um, formulating your product offering, how did you go about finding customers? I know you're a very uh, consumer-focused brand. Um, how did you go about getting things off the ground and selling in the beginning? So, so we were quite fortunate. Again, as I suggested, the category was quite new and there was a lot of interest um, in terms of the beauty space in particular and how supplements was going to become part of the whole wellness and beauty picture. So we actually launched with a retailer called Netta Porter and Mr. Porter, who are much more well known for fashion and actually high-end luxury fashion. So we had an exclusive agreement with them um, where we launched our three or four first products exclusively online with them. So that gave us the initial sort of statement or impact into the market. And I think the important thing here is that it gave us real credibility. So launching on a high-end fashion website, you know, it was quite unusual for our products like us to be there, but it immediately gave us within their own consumer and audience um, credibility of the quality of the products. Within that, it also allowed us to leverage um, some pretty decent PR around the launch, around the category, and around the interest of the fashion and the beauty space and looking at supplements. So the first instance, we actually weren't um, you know, selling through our own online channels. We leveraged another audience, another marketplace, essentially, to do that for us. Um, you know, going further into the journey of our sales, we actually then became much more of a D2C e-com online business. And we went down, you know, the typical channels of a business like that. We you know, leveraged Facebook advertising, marketing. We were very conscious that we didn't want to be wholly dependent on those channels. So um, we've always been about building organically, you know, creating really rich and interesting content on our site that would drive people um, to the brand and and to consume the business as well. Tell me a little bit about the uh, sales growth of Nuco over the last three years. So like most companies, I think when you set off and you, you set your forecast, you know, you're very, very ambitious. So year one was probably a little bit disappointing when we looked at it, but actually what we achieved was a huge achievement going from zero to where we got to. Um, and then coming into year two, when we were able to refine our, our products are messaging both social media and, and online. It was when we saw the significant growth. So we were able to grow um, around 400% into year two. And then coming into year three, we saw about 200% growth. Um, so we've been really happy with where we've grown and, and where we've got to um, as of today. I think that we see significant growth. Um, you know, well, we had forecasted significant growth again this year. Um, but obviously, there's been a lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenges, and hoping that we can get through it and stay on the similar trajectory that we had in the first three years. Yeah, for sure. Now, let's let's talk about um, you, you. You clearly manufacture a large list of products, um, which I, we talked offline, are mostly manufactured in the U.S. and Europe. How do you keep sustainability sort of front and center um, as you're growing your brand and offering a wide variety of, of products? Yeah, I mean, look, from the off, that's always been something we've considered. We've wanted to be a sustainable business. You know, we've done everything we can 
from an early stage to make sure that we deliver our products in the most sustainable and recyclable way. Currently, um, the only thing in a package that you would receive from the new coat that isn't infinitely recyclable is the lids. And that's something we're certainly working on. Um, you know, for us as a business and what we stand for and kind of the impact that we want to have both on people and the planet is very much front and center of all decisions that we make. I think there's that underlying challenge of a direct consumer business and the carbon footprint you're particularly having on the world and the environment. But it's always a consideration. We're doing everything we can as a business to focus on sustainability and having a fully and infinitely recyclable product that you receive from us. And something we're doing, um, again, to try and reduce the carbon footprint is looking at a uh, fully recyclable jar, which will remove the lid um, from anyone that is on a subscription with us. So on the second purchase, you would hold on to the glass jar and refill that using um, the refillable package that you would receive on your second order. Well, that's smart. I think that's, that's a great idea. It's funny how you like when this business goes on, you start to figure out different ways in which you can remove those one use um, plastics or whatever sort of packaging yeah. and things like that, that really do, you don't realize it until you're made conscious of it, of how much that really adds up to over time. Well, I think it's something that a lot of people underestimate as a young business. You know, you're looking at um, taking a product to market at the most efficient cost as possible. And unfortunately, in the world that we live in, the efficiency of cost is usually driven by having something that's got plastic in it or it's plastic based um, or it's coming from you know Asia and China in particular. So it's traveling a long way to get to the consumer if they're US based and all of that builds up. Fundamentally, as a young business, you have to make a decision, you know, do you go down the sustainability route? Do you make sure that at the core of all the decisions you're thinking about, as I said, the planet and the impact you're having on it? And that's certainly what we want to do as a brand. But I do think, you know, in general, a lot of people do underestimate how difficult that is. You know, we live in a capitalist world um, and a world where profits are what people are searching for. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of young businesses are exposed to decisions that are hard to make. It's either they take that sustainability conscious route, or as I said, they go after manufacturing in a place where you know, they may have an unfortunate impact um, on the planet. This is a very good point. And it's something you as a consumer aren't as aware um, and t like it's be definitely become a lot more present in the last couple of years. Uh, but I know for myself, I didn't really become super aware of it until starting Ready Yeti five years ago and working and talking to brands and then actually like thinking through the process and then also thinking about all of the stuff that I throw out when I buy something. And I'm like, huh, yeah, this is uh, it's going somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. And, you know, we get uh, big brands who approach us all the time looking to do really big orders with us. And you know, if we want to do that quickly and turn around a successful product, often the shorter route is the one that has the most damage on the environment. But unfortunately, you know, as a brand internally and everybody that works the business is very conscious of the impact that we're having. And we do, as I said, always try to make decisions with that in mind. Um, as I said, currently, as you receive a Nuco package, it's 80% recyclable. So I think we've got a long way to go as a business, but we're doing everything we can to make those changes. For sure. Now, what would you say over the last three years um, have been some of the biggest mistakes uh, that you've made with the business? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's often, um, you know, you move through mistakes as a startup so quickly um, that you actually just benefit from it. Honestly, like the mistakes really are learning curves because 
you're going into a world of so many uncertainties that it's actually the mistakes that you make that drive the efficiencies across the business. So, you know, we've made a lot of mistakes um, on our sort of short life cycle of getting from where we were to where we are today. I think one of the hardest ones to admit is that at times we weren't aware of how big or potentially big the business could get. So we were very risk averse early on. Um, we were quite um, aware of how do we push these products and get them in front of enough people to get to the size that we want without you know losing credibility in the brand that we want to be and how we want to stand and be seen. Um, so I think that you know the, the, the biggest mistake today is just not being um, you know, proactive or positive enough in growing it as quickly as it probably could have been grown. That's an interesting point. I also want to flip this question and ask if there are a few things that you've done in starting the business that were just crucial in getting you where you are today. Basically, decisions that you've made that have just been tremendously um, effective or just, I guess, the right decision versus a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, so probably the you know it goes back to the previous comment is that actually we moved all of our production from the UK to the US very early on. So the first run of our products we did in the UK, um, and then very quickly decided actually to move full production, which came at you know a relative cost and at quite a high risk actually to the US to work with a different lab and a different manufacturer, and really that decision is what I given us the products that we're able to create today and you know, the ability to meet the demand and the scale of the business where it is today. If we hadn't have done that very early on, we probably wouldn't have been able to meet the demand that we had. And therefore, it would have probably impacted the scale that we were able to achieve. That's interesting. Now, what advice would you give to someone um, that wanted to start a business, whether it was a supplement-based business or really just a business in general? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I say this pretty much to everybody that you'll never regret starting your own business. I think that, you know, there's so much you learn as an individual, but with the people that are around you that are helping you grow your business that you'll never regret doing that. And the things that you can then apply if you do have to go back to working for someone else will make you far better at that job and that role. I think that the exposure you get to different challenges is unlike anything else you could possibly do. I think you have to become so well-rounded. You have to take on quite a lot. Um, you know, you have to have broad and wide shoulders to launch a business, but you learn so much so quickly. And, you know, further to that, it just opens doors. It opens up opportunities, it opens conversations that you'd probably never be able to do if you weren't running your own business or launching your own business. So I think that, you know, to anyone thinking about it, you know, go for it. There's nothing... Um, for me, when I look back, that I regret about launching a business. I think every day is different. Every day is a challenge, but I'm so glad that I did it when I did it. And, and you know, if I delayed it one more day, I probably would have regretted it. How did you come up with the name Nuco? Uh, so, good question. Um, it means nude or naked in French. So, it comes from that. Uh, that is the sort of PR story that we push, but actually, we wanted to call it the Nude Co. originally, so N-U-D-E, because we wanted the ingredients to be very obvious, almost kind of like going back to their nude or naked state, so they're understandable. But unfortunately, that was quite a difficult name, particularly from a URL website um, trademark perspective to get trademarked. So 
we looked into actually just dropping the D and using the same context, but from France. And that worked well for us, to be honest, because I think the nude co probably wouldn't have scaled quite as well. That's interesting. Now, where do you see Nuco going in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? So probably in the in the very short term, it's getting out of the current period of uncertainty. I think that, you know, as we were talking before, we've been really fortunate that we were able to react quickly coming into, um, you know, the isolation period in the US and the UK, and we benefited from reacting quickly. I think that, you know, this year has definitely changed in terms of what we thought we were going to do. We had a lot of interesting products that we were hoping to launch that we've decided to delay until the end of the year, if not next year. So I think in all honesty, this year is is going to be one where we get through this period and then we reassess what the coming 12 months look like once there's a bit more clarity of things, you know, particularly on a supply chain, manufacturing and production perspective. Beyond that, I think that, you know, we were looking and having a, a company-wide sit down recently and just thinking about, you know, what is our brand's mission? What are we trying to do? And it is going back to this whole concept of making people and the planet a healthier place. So, you know, five years time, we certainly want to be the brand or the company that's known in the supplement space. And we want to be one that's known to have had a really meaningful impact on people's lives. And I think if you, you know, look at some of the customer feedback that we get, we're already doing that, where it be at a small scale. Um, and we have a huge opportunity to do that at real scale across the world. And that really is the aim for the business. So taking supplements from where they are today as a category and really helping feed them into people's lives to have a meaningful and positive impact. Well, you guys are definitely sure on your way to uh, to doing that and definitely building one of the, one of the current fastest growing supplement brands out there. And um, Charlie, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story and the story of, of Nuco. And um, for anyone that's listening that um, is curious about following along, you can um, definitely check out a lot of their supplements um, on the newco.com. And we are also running a giveaway currently uh, with Nuco that's running through um, May 26. So you can actually enter to win a number of supplements with a wellness giveaway that we're running with them. Um, and with that, uh, Charlie, thanks again for, for coming on the show and, and sharing your story and the story of Nuco. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.